Hello and welcome to the ACAST podcast. I'm Joseph Salmassian and in this episode we're discussing menopause in the workplace and how organisations can better support women. Joining us for this timely discussion is the first ever government appointed menopause champion, Helen Tomlinson, and Kate Nowitzki, Director of Dispute Resolution at ACAS and ACAS Menopause Champion. If you're affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, details of where you can find support for yourself or your organisation can be found in the programme notes. Thank you both for joining us today. So, Helen, if I could start with you, um, you've been the menopause workplace champion for about half a year now. And I just wanted to know a bit about how that's going for you. It's a really good question, Joseph. Thank you for asking me that first First off. Um, it's going in a way that I could never, ever have imagined that it would get so busy so quickly. So I really didn't know what to expect. It's the first time that this role has existed. And when I was asked to do it, we kind of talked about what it might look like, how it might work through, etc. But in that time, uh, I've spoken to over 70 employers to talk to them about their what they're doing in the um, menopause space and more broadly around uh, women's health. And I've worked with several sort of governing bodies, sector bodies, um, created a strategy, started to implement the strategy. Um, and so it's been phenomenally busy in a way that I could never, ever have imagined. How receptive have the organisations been? Really, so, so where where I'm at, at the moment, I've been kind of doing due diligence and getting a better understanding of what employers are doing because I think it would probably help if I tell you what part of the strategy is, so that it helps to to work that in. So I've had an, a lot of employers coming to me and saying we're doing some really good stuff in this space. Can we can we share it? And that's what the the role is absolutely about. It is about sharing of that best practice. So all women, regardless of what type of um, organization they work in have access to best practice. So as an example, that the first part of the strategy is absolutely that. So we will create sector-specific best practice hosted on a portal that anybody can access free of charge. So one of my key focus areas is that it's free and accessible to everybody, regardless of their their ethnicity, their socio-demographic um, profile, etc. And what what we will do with that information is sharing the best practice that large organisations are doing and letting smaller organisations, that the SME community, which makes up 90% of UK businesses, letting them have access to that as well, free of charge. And just with regards to the best practice, and how's that, how's that translating from the large organisations down to the SMEs? So, so that's what the portal will be for, to allow them to access that. But what I think is really important is that um, employers are coming to me and not seeing it as um, as competitive advantage, if you like. So they're not saying, I don't want to share within my sector what I'm doing, because if I do, it won't give us that um, talent attraction strategy come to us if you're menopausal because we do great stuff because it's bigger than that so so my role is about making sure it's accessible and equitable to all women and I'm delighted that people are coming to me and wanting to share that best practice the second part of it is an allyship program which again a lot of large organizations have brilliant allyship programs internally but I want them to share that so that people who work in smaller 
organisations have the same opportunity to find somebody to talk to and share their experiences with. Kate, from the ACAS perspective, what are we hearing from employers and employees on the topic of menopause? Well, do you know, that's such a good question. And it really builds on what Helen has said in that we, we, we almost seem to be not not in every not in every case, but in some areas we've gone we're entering to that realm of okay well we've broken the ice with menopause now how do we make that um a bit more of a sustained um topic in the workplace how do we really give it roots and 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 um, um to build on something I, I can see that you've said helen actually which is about health being valued so it's really bedded in as a, as a thing um because we know there are still you know a quarter of workplaces that don't have a menopause policy so it's like we've almost had that opening moment if you like of getting it out there don't get me wrong I'm not saying it's out there in every place that it needs to be absolutely not by a million miles but but in some you know to some extent there's been a lot of publicity and we've both broken the ice if you like but I think what employers want to do now particularly those um more progressively those employees who are thinking more progressively about that about what more can they do and fabulous really fabulous Helen to hear about um, you, you work there in sectors and for small employers as well it's far too important for people to keep it to themselves for a competitive advantage and so I really really love hearing about that I'm really interested to know about that sectoral perspective because Joe that's definitely a sort of a sort of second tier of, of development there from my point of view I think that's brilliant because employers do want to know well what is it about what we do in our space and for smaller employers they still many of them I'm sure Helen would agree don't even yet know where to start and one thing that I'm really struck by what Helen has said which is what we hear from employees I think and, and what my one of my observations is is around socioeconomic status of the employee in the workplace so my own personal observation is that for many women who have got the education and resources to find out about menopause, probably doing OK and are probably educating up to their employer. But there are many, many women who are, I'm concerned aren't getting through. So to hear about what Helen's saying is really taking it to that next level. And I think the switched on employers are asking about that too. I don't know. I mean, Helen, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that I was really passionate about when I took the role because um, it is obviously a, a voluntary role in addition to my my day job. And I'm very lucky that the ADECO group are incredibly supportive of the work that I'm doing. But I actually don't mind the fact that it, it's a voluntary role because um you know, menopause is a multi-million pound um, industry. I was on a BBC Talking Business programme um, a few weeks ago, and that was one of the topics that it was, it's, he actually said it was a multi-billion dollar um, industry because it, it, it is obviously it's a global programme. But and I w I'm really conscious that the role that I am playing is giving um providing advocacy and a platform i feel really privileged that i've got this opportunity to speak up for women who don't have either the platform the confidence or just the the, the ability to speak up for themselves um and that's really important to me because i know at the, the the latter end of last year there was a lot of narrative about um 
about um, menopause being a white middle class privilege. And that's why I feel very strongly that what the work that I do has to translate across all ethnicities where, you know, English may not even be the first language. They may not culturally have the the word for menopause. We see that a lot in, in the work that I do internally across the ADECO group, you know, that we are, um, it's, it's, children of women going through menopause who are explaining what is happening to them because of what they've learned in the workplace and from a socioeconomic perspective as well I, I the way I look at it at there are three kinds of role and I'll talk to you in a moment about the sectors that I'm working across there are three kinds of role there are the totally autonomous roles there are the semi-autonomous roles and there are the non-autonomous roles and there are broadly two types of symptoms practical symptoms and psychological symptoms so what tends to happen is in the non-autonomous roles obviously the practical symptoms can be a real issue and that can be a real challenge but and and not that's not to say that they don't have psychological um issues as well but then when you look at the autonomous roles they tend to be more of the leadership roles and more of the senior roles you know we know that um women over 50 are the fastest growing demographic in the workforce the average age a woman goes into a leadership role according to a FTSE 500 is is 51 so all those things happening together um are and that's when it's more the psychological issues of menopause that play into that and it's the feeling of anxiety loss of confidence insomnia etc so if you look at all of that you know that covers pretty much every type of of role so so I'm really focused on that top-down, bottom-up approach, so it's meaningful for everybody. Um, and in terms of the sectors, so um, the government asked me to focus on five specific sectors and I, with the backing of those sector bodies, but I'm also really passionate about women working in the education sector and the lack of autonomy that the 98% of women who work in primary education have in their day-to-day job. So I've included education um, because it's something that's very personal to me and I'm very passionate about. Um, But the five sectors that we are focusing on are um, retail, hospitality, adult care, manufacturing and professional and technical. And the the other interesting aspect of that is, so they cover top-down leadership roles right down to non-autonomous entry-level roles in all of those sectors. A lot of them non-autonomous because they're either customer or client facing. Um, But the other interesting um, types of organisation that I'm working with are those that really have multiple sectors in one organisation. So they'll have professional and technical, but they also may have manufacturing as well. So that multidiscipline and how do you make it work for people who are in a leadership role, but also for people who might be on a food production line where you literally cannot leave or you might be a train driver, you can't suddenly say, I need to go to the bathroom. Um, So there are so many different facets to that. So it's very much for me around supporting um, women who who don't have access to the the stuff that is going to really help them. There's a lot to unpack there, Helen. Um, One of the things, first things that springs to mind, it sounds like this, this issue of menopause in the workplace intersects with other issues around race and gender and other sort of already pre-existing inequalities 
And I know there's been a real push around having allies in the workplace. And I just wanted to touch upon how allyship can really uh, play a part in, you know, bringing around positive outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really ties in with something that Kate mentioned a, a moment ago, and that was around the the second tier piece. And I think it's relevant because I start, obviously, the role is about menopause in the workplace. And I launched, I started on this journey by launching our own menopause policy in the ADECO group um and really championing that and and it's it's actually all the stuff that happens around that and after that that's what changes the culture of an organization not the policy in isolation so it's really important that we build in that you know manager training allyship programs safe space conversations or practical support all of those um and uh, when Kate mentioned about it being two tier, I actually now talk more broadly about women's health rather than just talk about menopause in the workplace. So we've actually changed our policy to be a women's health policy and then everything that sits below it are guiding principles so we have guiding principles around period management in the workplace around fertility around obviously we've got all our policies around maternity etc but that allows us to open up the conversation and what that's done it opening up that conversation about women's health has actually created that allyship piece because now when we're talking about perimenopause in you know group sessions etc we might have somebody on there who is wanting to be an ally for their mum or their sister or you know so it's not just about about that person it's about the broader intersectionality and familial environment that they they may be in whatever that looks like um but you asked me about allyship and actually um I often well I know that you know uh, men can be our greatest allies without a doubt and and from the work that I've done externally and internally creating those safe space and I do a lot of men only sessions and and some organizations are a little bit like is that not a step back and I can completely see that point but when I have done them the conversation has been around this is a safe space ask me anything you'll probably never see me again there's nothing you can say that can embarrass me so and and I did one for DWP not that long ago and one of the men said we just want to help but we don't know what to say so we don't say anything everything we say could be potentially wrong I think that applied at work and at home so but it was really it's really good to allow that safe space because once they understand and they've asked the question they become some of the most passionate allies and supporters um so I think that's really really important that's a really big point about culture. So Kate, as AKS Menopause Champion, how important is culture in the workplace? It's such a good question, Joe, and I and I just think it's so extraordinary to see how a culture can shift. And when you think about, you know, that that sort of culture triangle where what you see at the top, you know, reflecting those deeply held beliefs because at board level, we have a board uh, in ACAS which is genuinely committed to supporting this particular agenda and I love Helen your articulation there around the wider health agenda and and, and just going off side, side for side a sideline here you know in terms of 
organizational maturity, having that maturity as an organization to really push into that women's health space. I think it's fabulous. Love to talk about that on some, some other time on another podcast, maybe. Um, but that to get that cultural shift really, really going and to reflect what's a genuine commitment from the board as a sort of deeply held belief and, and make that manifest in, in the uh, amongst teams and, and amongst the, the people that, that we're working with who are doing brilliant frontline work in ACAS. We have to actually do stuff to make that happen. And that does mean us doing, um, you know, having those sessions. So we've got one coming up in, in our inclusion week. I'll, I'll be hosting a conversation and very much as you've just described, actually, Helen, a sort of uh, private space for women. And we'll, we'll talk around things um, you know, either specific or generally. And I'm sure we'll have some some laughs along the way. But also um, demonstrating it in um you know through the policy sharing the policy but training training and supporting our line managers throughout the organization to inform them and i don't know about you helen but i'm still shocked genuinely shocked that even amongst the the, the women who are entering into the age or are experiencing menopause directly themselves the lack of knowledge and understanding about what they are going through and and you know and many people that i that i encounter whether within acas or outside of acas are very well informed and, and well educated and curious women and still it's 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 a concern to me that the the lack of knowledge and understanding and the myths that persist i don't know is that something you'd recognize helen um yeah it, it is and i suppose you only know and see what you know and see and actually i speak to a lot of organizations where they they are, you know, really upskilling women. But I have spoken to a lot of women who've left their role because of menopause, because they just didn't, couldn't articulate what was, what they were experiencing. They didn't know what it was that they were experiencing. So, so that is a really important, um, aspect, um, of it that, you know, making sure I think we're doing a great job starting to empower women but it's also important that we give line managers the tools to be able to take receipt of that conversation and all too often I see line managers going into solution mode without really asking the question what is it I can do to support you and actually doing the wrong thing is worse than not doing anything at all so we need to really educate around around that as well so there's still definitely a lot of work to do in that space but I think we're making you know really good progress and the fact that people are willing to come forward and tell their story is again really really important. It it, it absolutely isn't Joe and I were, were speaking earlier and reflecting on the challenges of um, I think you you were saying weren't you Joe about the, the the challenges perhaps for some men as line managers you know certainly kate uh, i think there could be a perception particularly if it's a younger man managing an older woman they might not feel comfortable they might not know how to broach those conversations they might simply be ignorant about the topic there's definitely uh, i would say an educational piece around how to have that conversation it's definitely a big starting point yeah i, I do think that's why that training and support is so important and I'm just reflecting on when we launched our menopause policy back in 2021 I honestly in hindsight I thought I've done a great thing I've launched our menopause policy job done and actually all the policy did was start the conversation that 
created the allyship, that created the education, that changed the culture of the organisation. And I don't even say that lightly, that it's changed the culture in such a way that we've it's allowed us to introduce so many different topics. When I, the two things I would have done um, had I, when I launched the policy was, I would have made the line manager training mandatory, but I would also have done more of a, I did a pod, I did podcasts before I launched it with two other senior leaders in the organization. And we were, all three of us were very honest about our symptoms and our experiences and the way it impacted on our day job. Um, and what that did was that allowed other women to come forward and say, well, you know, that I'm experiencing that or think, well, if they're struggling, it's OK that that I'm struggling. So so that was one thing. The second thing was absolutely the line manager training. I didn't make it mandatory. I tell everybody I talk to now, make it mandatory. But I think at that time, it wasn't as widely talked about. It wasn't as widely understood. And, and I did, I set up a session and invited all I did a men only manager session and um, I had two line managers could dial into it and one of them had dialed into the wrong call and was too embarrassed to dial off but but I've since done one I did one at the request of the business about two months ago and I was there were so many people on that call not just managers but people wanting to understand to be able to support as I said before, the wider family, et cetera, et cetera. So, but do, you, do you also find, sorry to cut, cut across you, but do you find that women also find it difficult to discuss this amongst themselves? Not, not as much, but, but you know, there are women that don't want to talk about it because they don't, you know, there, it's, it's a fact. The average age for perimenopause is 51. The average age for menopause is 41. As soon as you start to talk about externally your symptoms, you are you're age, putting an age on your yourself. And there is still, I think, a view that if you aren't in an organisation where um it is very equitable for you know gender equitable you know i work in an organization that's 60 percent female so probably i don't feel that in the same way and i still hear stories of women who feel that you know they're made to feel like they're they've done their time or should they step down into a different role etc so if i were in an environment like that i maybe have a different view but i you know there are women that don't want to admit that they are could possibly be of the age you know where they are perimenopausal and that's that is a challenge in organizations because it stops other women from talking <laughs> you made about me it. smile there Helen I've given up trying to disguise my age but I never did really try it's all out there now <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> no and I I genuinely don't think there's any point because I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that if you come through, if you come through menopause and you are well supported in your organization, you take steps to support yourself. It can't just all be about your employer, but you take steps to, you know, look after your own health, nutritionally, lifestyle choices, exercise, all of that. When you come through menopause and you're postmenopausal, as I guess I am now, um, you know, you, it's completely different. You have a completely different perception, experience, and, you know, got another maybe 10 or 15 years left of your career. And arguably, that can be the best 10 or 15 years of your career. And it's interesting you say that about, you know, being at that point where you're just thinking the idea is germinating about formulating policies. But as we move forward now, Helen, you're talking about just reframing the whole conversation 
and looking at it as this kind of health issue, which is, I think it's a fantastic way to really get people thinking differently about it. And with that in mind, also thinking about things like recruitment and retention. So how, how does the menopause issue play into that? From a retention perspective, you know, the, the number of women who are considering leaving their career, changing their career, have stepped away from their career due to menopause it is phenomenal. There are 630,000 women who are claiming universal credit between the ages of 45 and 55 as well. And, you know, it just, it makes me feel, it's a bit of a sliding doors moment, I guess, isn't it? If I'd been working for a previous employer, not not that they necessarily would have been, but you know, on the basis that had I worked for another employer that hadn't have been supportive and forward thinking, etc., my experience could have been entirely different. And I could have felt that I would no choice but to leave the workplace or take a step back, etc. So the whole retention piece, and you know, I'm not I'm not saving lives or, you know, as we say at work, you know, what we do is good work, it's hard work, but we're not saving lives. But if you were, you know, you think about sometimes I can easily have a brain fog moment, completely forget what I'm saying. You know, if I was a surgeon working in theatre and I kept doing that, that's pretty impactful on my job. If I'm in front of a classroom of students it is I've spoken to the fire service I've spoken to the police service if you're in an emergency situation and you can't remember what you're supposed to be doing that's pretty frightening and you know pretty life-changing um so the whole having that consideration that wraparound care, care and support is so important to retain women in the workforce when they're probably going to have moving forward less responsibility you know we're in that sort of sandwich area it is a perfect storm you 51 is the average age of uh, menopause we're having children arguably later um we've probably got caring people are living longer we've got re- caring responsibilities there is all that we have to work longer and remain financially active for longer than ever before um due to cost of living all that sort of stuff but also the retirement age increasing so if you don't manage it and support women through that period there will come a time when you've got more time left to work really than you have pre-menopause because we are living longer the first person who will live to 150 has already been born um so that's something to consider the average age of a girl starting her menstrual cycle is now 10 it used to be 12 so you only have a certain number of menstrual cycles throughout your life so if that is coming down You've got more time post-menopause. So it's such a, you know, a strong business case, if, if nothing else, to support women through this period of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's such a powerful point to make. And it links into your previous point about people typically taking on a leadership role at the age of, of 51, doesn't it? And I was just reflecting as you were speaking there about the, the, the um, that cultural piece, you know, in our inclusion week coming up, one of the sessions is actually about uh, menstrual myth busting. Well, goodness me, we don't have to look back far in time, you know, in any organisation, I'm sure, let alone in ACAST. Well, that would never, ever have seen the light of day. And in fact, I was actually thinking uh, earlier about it, it. I think it's about 13 years ago, a long time ago, when I uh, had a slightly different role in the organisation and we organised a, 
a, a, a sort of seminar, if you like, on menopause in the workplace. So real cutting edge stuff and about it. What it really was about 60 women and one man uh, squeezed into a little conference room in the East Midlands where I'm I'm based. And it was like it, it was such a it was such a watershed moment. And people were saying, well, uh, you know, do you think there's something around here that we could maybe start to look at policies for? And it, it was quite extraordinary. So, yeah, we've we've come up, we've come a long way. Um, mm. And I think some of that is a, a generational piece as well. You know, we we run an internal course called Managing Across the Generations because managing five generations of of people in your organisation is a challenge. Because what you know, the experience of the, the Gen Z that are just come now would probably formulate our early career teams. You know, that's very different from managing somebody who's a traditionalist or a boomer. So there are absent that openness. But what I was I was going to say before is when we'd launched our menopause policy, we did it through a formula, really, of podcast, policy launch, training, inclusion brunch, um, safe space coffee morning that we have regularly and then a more of a one-to-one personal support mechanism and then signposting to GP or something like that. But we've used that formula now to launch topics that we've never been able to discuss. A bit like we had one called Bloody Hell, we're talking about periods not long afterwards. We would never have been able to do that. I, I just think that's such a um, a, a brilliant way to tap into that side of the of the conversation, and I'm certainly going to be thinking, oh, actually, what can what can I do? You know, as the ACAS menopause champion, to open up those conversations with men, and you know, it, so what if only two people turn up and one and one's dialed in accidentally? It doesn't really matter, does it? If it gets the ball rolling, and I love the suggestion there, Helen, as well about an inclusion brunch that appeals to me on multiple levels. I must say. Brilliant. Okay, on that positive note, perhaps we could think about final thoughts. Any last points? Anything we haven't covered? Helen? For anybody who is going through um, perimenopause or menopause now and finding it challenging, don't see this as a time when you have to step back or step out of your career. Because if you ask and get the support that you need, whether that be through your workplace, through a GP, through a a faith group or whatever your starting point is, um, once you are through it, it will give you you an absolute platform to enjoy the, the next 10 10, 15 years of your career um, and people often ask me what is your hope for the, the future um, on, on this topic and my hope for the future is that we're not having sessions like this because it is just such you know my mum never talked about it my I hope my daughter will never need to talk about it in the way that we are in the education space because actually it will just be part and parcel of you know we, we don't have webinars on pregnancy and things like that do we so it you know it, because that's just part and parcel of the work you know a woman's um health through her career um so I hope that we we don't have and I almost do myself out of a, a role because it's just everyday life well said well said and, I, and, and the only thing I, I would uh, say just the, I suppose the, the mirror of that is for the for employers uh, educate yourselves, get, use those resources, all the things. Listen back to the podcast. There's some, been some brilliant tips from Helen 
uh, in our conversation, which are absolutely superb, uh, to get in that space, to change the culture in your own organisation, to give the support to the, to the women in the workplace and by extension, the men and the families as well. Thank you, Kate. And thank you, Helen. On that note, we bring the podcast to a close. I hope you have found the discussion informative and thought provoking. If you would like to discuss any of the issues raised or would like support in your workplace, details of how you can contact ACAS can be found at acas.org.uk or in the programme notes. Thank you and goodbye.